uh, because our next speaker is Stephen Luntz. Am I pronouncing that correctly? He says not really, but I'm sorry. Uh, he writes for I Fucking Love Science, and also he's an astronomy enthusiast and general awesome guy. He has a giant telescope right here. I don't know if we're going to see much, but it should still be pretty cool. Uh, he's previously written for, the Austra for Australasian Science as well. He has almost 5,000 articles published between I Fucking Love Science and Australasian Science. Um, I was going to make a joke there. It doesn't work. Uh, he owns two Dobsonian telescopes. I don't know what that is, but it sounds good. One of which is still operational, and he fosters another one. Uh, since he lives in Brunswick and doesn't own a car, they get used far less than they should. But Stephen can sometimes be found taking the telescopes to festivals in the country or just running astronomy nights in local parks or on the street outside his house. I want everybody to make Stephen very welcome. Stephen Luntz, everybody. Before I actually start my talk, I, I will just plug the fact that in a week's time, I will be giving a talk at Laneway Learning about the sex lives of various Australian animals. And if you didn't get enough of the dung beetles from the first talk, one of the animals I can talk about is the Australian native dung beetles um, who take kinky to a, a new meaning. Uh, and I'll just leave it, with, leave it at that. Um, that has nothing to do with the, the talk I'm going to give tonight, um, which is about John Dobson, uh, thus the, the reference to the Dobsonian telescopes. But starting, uh, starting long before Do John Dobson, 200 years ago this year, the poet John Keats said that Newton had destroyed the beauty of the rainbow by explaining the causes of the rainbow and therefore removing the mystery and making it no longer beautiful. Um, now, I suspect that given, you know, wh where we're at tonight and who is here, that probably the sympathy in the room is very much with Newton, not with Keats. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, but just to add, like, you know, while that's probably the natural sympathy, I would go, I would add to that and point out that Newton's work on optics that led him to explain the rainbow also allowed him to invent the Newtonian telescope, which has allowed us not only to understand the universe far better, but also to see beauty that Keats could not have imagined, and certainly could not have been imagined before, um, uh, before Newton's work, uh, and including many mysteries that have come and gone and some that are still mysterious and some that have been explained, but an extraordinary level of beauty that, that we have, been, um, uh, that has come about because of, of Newton's telescope. But I can have one small smidgen of, uh, of sympathy for Keats in this, because when he was writing, Newton's work had not at all been democratized, in terms of that, that area of his work, in terms of the, the telescopes, had not at, all, not at all been democratized. You had to be extremely rich to have actually got the direct benefits of one of Newton's telescopes to have looked through it that very, very few people had. And even 30 or 40 years ago, that hadn't changed that much. Sure, people might have seen photographs taken through Newtonian telescopes, but overwhelmingly, most people just, it, it was something that you had to have fairly serious amounts of money to, um, to possess a Newtonian telescope or, you know, or know somebody who did and to have got a chance to look through it. Um, that has completely changed. And 
The reason it has changed is largely because of the man that I am going to talk about tonight, John Dobson. Now, Dobson was not a professional astronomer. He made no discoveries. His one big scientific theory was pretty much dramatically wrong, and um, you know, and uh, people have, been, have spent 30 years patting him on the head and saying, that's okay, we won't laugh at you because of your other contributions. Uh, but, um, and his, his background, his degree was in chemistry, um, but having got this degree in chemistry, he, at one stage, you know, and starting off as a scientist, at one stage, he attended a talk on, let me make sure I get this right, um, at, at the, um, on um, Vendata, yeah, from the Vendata Society, was so inspired that he ended up joining the Ramakrishna order and became a monk for a period of over 20 years. Um, and it was while he was in the monastery, he was asked as one of his duties to try and demonstrate that um, modern astronomy was not contradictory to the philosophies of the Ramakrishna. So he started, I mean, he'd always had a bit of an interest in astronomy, but he started developing this further. He started building his own telescopes, uh, taking them outside the monastery. Uh, on, he built a wheeled cart to move his telescope around, um, took it outside the, the monastery, and pointed it at the skies. Um, people came, you know, just passers by because they, the monastery was in, you know, um, inside a city. Um, passers by came, stopped, looked, you know, what on earth are you doing? He showed them. Uh, the sky through the telescope, and that became his great passion, was not so much doing the astronomy himself, but bringing it to, to other people. And he started spending more and more time on this, either making telescopes um, so other people could, uh, could access the sky or showing, um, showing them off. Um, and he got into more and more trouble with the uh, senior levels of the monastery, not because they had a problem with him doing astronomy, but because... He was spending so much time on it that they felt he was neglecting his other duties. Um, and he had to do a whole lot of stuff in secret to avoid getting kicked out of the monastery. He started grinding his own mirrors, and he would grind them underwater to keep the noise down so that um, the, um, the, you know, the other monks wouldn't realise. Um, he, uh, a friend of his, as he was looking for appropriate glass to grind the mirrors from, um, a friend of his... Um, found a ship that was being decommissioned, an old naval ship, and bought all the, um, the, uh, the windows, the portal windows, which were just right. They were, you know, nice and round and um, thick, strong glass. And, uh, he, but he had to smuggle them into the monastery in um, the bottom of gardening supplies um, and then grind them at night underwater um, to, um, you know, to avoid getting caught. But eventually... He did uh, not actually get caught for that, but just sort of spending so much time outside that eventually they just kicked him out of the monastery. Uh, and when you've spent, you know, 20 years of your life in the monastery, you, you know, you don't necessarily have an obvious thing to do. Um, so he, he went out and he just kept on with his thing of, of showing the sky to people and ended up spending um, eight months of the year travelling uh, build their own telescopes. Uh, and in the course of that, he 
developed a number of ways to build telescopes, none of which were actually superior in terms of quality to of lower quality, but they were much, much cheaper. Um, now, one of those was the ways, you know, sort of cheaper ways to grind telescopes using portals of, uh, of ships that um, were being de decommissioned with something that, you know, nobody else had, had thought of, and that was a cheap supply of suitable glass. But the, the main thing that Dobson did was come up with the Dobsonian mount, which I have here to demonstrate. Um, so, now the, the, the problem is I'd forgotten exactly how broken this telescope was, so it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't show it off at its best. <laughs> but if you... Uh, if you have this, the, oops, the mirror here actually attached instead of, instead of falling off like, um, like mine has, this actually uh, gives you a way to operate the telescope. Sort of, um, I mean, he compared it to, to a cannon uh, in terms of the, the operation, but basically you just you can... Raise it up and down uh, relatively smoothly. You can turn it from side to side. Um, and it's very simple, but that's, it's the simplicity that actually means that you can build them... Oops, thank you. Um, build them so cheaply. Before Dobson came along, the sort of telescope that you would buy as an amateur, um, half the cost was in the mirrors and the lenses and the... Um, and the tube, and the other half was in the mount because they had these extremely complex mounts that cost, you know, that had to be made in machine, you know, in, in factories that were, you know, with all sorts of complexity, and they cost thousands of dollars as a general rule for a medium-sized telescope. Um, and so the consequence was that the whole thing was just too expensive and very few people bought them. Dobson came along showed that, in, that using this, this technique, you got a mount that wasn't as good as what was around, but it was almost as good, and a high school student could build it in their woodworking class or anybody who had you know, passed woodwork, which certainly wasn't me, um, could make it themselves for $5, like for equipment that cost $5 and a few hours' work. Um, and that led first to a huge number of people making their own and then companies getting onto it and, you know, and build, you know, th this one certainly wasn't made um, by me or uh, anyone by hand, but uh, once, uh, you know, it took 20 years or so, but big companies started building them themselves and the price of telescopes plummeted. And not only did it sort of halve the price because half the cost had been in the mount, but once the price came down that much, whole lot of pe more people bought them, and therefore we started to get the mass production that had just eluded telescopes long before. And just as we know with computers and mobile phones and so on, that mass production can slice the price dramatically. Uh, I've got two sort of personal stories of the, of the influence that this had. Um, one of them is the first telescope I bought um, 32 years ago. Um, uh, cost, um, cost over $1,000, uh, which was a lot more back then. 
Um, and the, um, the most recent one I bought, and this one was sort of intermediary in between, the most recent one I bought was, is four times as powerful. It cost $450. Um, and if you think about, so not only is the price more than halved while the power went up by four, but um, you know, there's a lot of inflation in between. So the, the difference is just spectacular in terms of the price. And so suddenly, um, uh, you know, this has become accessible to people in a way that uh, things just weren't before. And that's meant both that a lot of people have owned their own telescopes, but also that um, those people feel free to take them. I mean, the reason this one is, you know, falling apart in the way, it's a rather spectacular way that I've um, shown here, is because I spent years lugging it around to festivals, um, bumping over, you know, um, dirt tracks to, to get it out there and, um, you know, and, and uh, using it at, you know, festivals where people were, were dancing in, you know, in the dust and, and, you know, it's got, it's plated thick with dust. I wouldn't have done that with a telescope that cost 10 times as much, you know. Um, and so that's, me but, in, but having it there has meant that I've personally shown thousands of people either Saturn, Jupiter, or the Moon, and sometimes um, other objects, and, and that's just one person. Dobson himself, um, uh, through the San Francisco sidewalk astronomers, showed hundreds of thousands of people the sky over the years uh, directly and by, by inspiring others, uh, and then got them, many of them, inspired, he inspired them to make their own telescopes uh, and just spread amateur astronomy to uh, to an extraordinary extent. Um, sorry, I've, um, so, uh, so most of the telescopes he made were ones that were a little bit larger than this, but he also built one 24-inch um, wide telescope, um, which I, I heard him speak once, and he claimed that if you pointed this at the sun um, and looked through it, which you wouldn't, but if you did, um, your eyeball would smoke. Um, now, I heard him say this uh, when I was 17, and I just um, took this for granted. Now, these days, I'm a bit more cynical and sceptical, and I'm like, how does he know that? Did he actually, like, d did they get sheep's eyeballs and hold them over the... <laughs> don't know, but nevertheless, that is one impressive telescope, um, and... They, what they would do is set up on the sidewalks of San Francisco, show people, you know, a greatly impeded view of the sky uh, because of the, you know, the, the pollution there, uh, but then say, this weekend, we're, we're going to have the telescopes up in the mountains uh, around, and they would get hundreds and, uh, of people coming up to see the sky from there. Uh, in the process... This has had a number of effects on astronomy itself. Firstly, it's inspired a whole lot of people who have gone on to become astronomers and made some of those discoveries um, that, that Dobson himself didn't, didn't make. It's also meant that we have so many more eyes on the sky. And so there are quite a lot of things that wouldn't have been discovered by professionals because they weren't looking in the right places. But because there are so many telescopes around, includes... Um, uh, some supernova, which we probably we possibly would have picked up eventually, but we got them much earlier and were able to learn about them um, in much more detail because some amateur had a telescope pointing at a galaxy, you know, 
um, that w was not a particularly unusual galaxy, but it looked nice, and so the amateur was uh, looking at it and went, hang on, that looks a bit different, reports the supernova, and uh, professional astronomers jump on it. So it's made a difference in that way. Um, the, a number of comets have been discovered uh, much earlier than they would have otherwise. If you remember the film Deep, Deep Impact, people made a lot of um, criticism of it because they discover this comet with a six-inch telescope, so the same size as this, and people say, oh, yeah, as if you could pick up a, telescope at, uh, a comet at that distance with that, that size telescope. But at that time, that was about as the size of a telescope that an amateur like that would have had. These days, they'd have a telescope that would be much more powerful and actually would be credible for them to pick up comets at, at that kind of distance. Um, so it's made a difference in all those ways. Um, it's also changed, it, you know, it, it has really democratised uh, astronomy in, in both, not just in numbers, but in terms of the people who come. When I heard Dobson talk, it was at a meeting of the Astronomical Society where a friend of mine and I were the only people under sail. These days, if you go to meetings of the Astronomical Society, it is much, much more diverse. And that's because of a whole lot of reasons, but one of them is that you can now afford to have a decent telescope um, and, and, and people have, been, have had a chance to, to look through it and be inspired. So that's a whole lot of differences that I think the Dobson's made. But I can see some people might say, well, that's all very well. Like, it's good that all those people have been inspired, but why did they need to be inspired this way? Um, after all, you know, this is long after photography. Whatever you can see through this telescope, you can see much better on the internet. You can see, you know, we've got shots from Hubble and from, you know, Cassini. You, you know, you can look at Saturn through this telescope, but, or you could if it wasn't broken. Um, but, um, uh, you know, that can't compare with the sort of images that Cassini can produce. And that's true in a sense. I mean, I, you know, and I've had, you know, I've, I, uh, when I've had the telescope festivals, I've had some people look at it and go, ah, you know, I've, I've seen better shots, so, you know, from, you know, from Hubble or whatever. Um, but the fact is, and this is where I think Keats might have actually had a little bit of a point, that there is something special and, dare I say, mysterious about looking at the sky as directly as it's possible to do when all you've got between you and the sky is this telescope that's under your control, that you know, you know that if you bump it, it will actually you know, be pointing at the wrong thing. And, and that makes a difference, and it feels different from just you know, a day on, on the internet. Um, and it is, for, for most people, not for everyone, inspiring in a different way. And it's created a beauty for millions and millions of people who would not have had access to it otherwise.